How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. America! The Nightcap. Nobody can stop the USA. Yeah. But that's right. not yes. I am talking about yeah. freedom, about choice. America, I don't think you need to worry. Because if you want to beat China, you will. If you don't, that's fine. That, my friend, is your victory. Who do you play for? Play for the United States of America. On WGR Sports Radio 550. Hour number two of the nightcap. Joe DiBiase here on WGR. We'll get some Bills talk in a little bit. Mitch Morse was on the station earlier. He's the new Bills center. He's also the highest paid center in NFL history. And he's a Bill. We'll talk some Sabres here, though. 803-0550 for your thoughts. You can also get a hold of us on the text line, 550-550, or on Twitter at SneakyJoeWGR. Before I do get fully into the uh, Sabres here for a little bit, I had a poll up earlier in the show. Uh, talking about Nate Oates and whether you think he should be where he should really, where he ranks right now, most valuable people in Buffalo sports. I think he's top four for sure. Uh, the poll right now, you'd have him third. Who's the most valuable person in Buffalo sports? 51% Josh Allen, 22% Jack Eichel, 16% Nate Oates, Rasmus Dahlin, 11? When you have to put Dahlin ahead of Eichel, it's not, I'm not here to debate that. I think. No, yeah, I don't want to do that. Um, but that's where it stands right now. You can vote there at Sneaky Joe WGR on Twitter. Um, so Jeff Skinner is yet to sign. And anybody worried out there at all? Anybody even thinking about it? Because I feel as though it's a little strange that the number one goal scorer on the Sabres, by a lot, 37 goals he's up to now, is not with, does not have a contract for next season. They've been able to sign him to that eighth year for, what, oh, almost a month now? And yet, here we sit, no contract's been signed. Like I said, I'm not worried, but I'm starting to at least think about it a little bit. Because it's got to be a little weird to some people, right, that that's not done. If he wants to stay here, if the Sabres want him to stay here, and the money's not too outrageous, then a contract should be signed. So that makes you think somebody is going too far. Either the Sabres are trying to get him on like a six-year deal, like term-wise, 
or they're trying to get him way down on the on the money, or Skinner's asking for like ten million or something like that. Other than that, like why I don't I, I just you don't really understand why there wouldn't be a deal done yet. Darren Dreger was on our station earlier today on the Instigators. Here was uh, what he had to say uh, about that. The Buffalo Sabers and Jeff Skinner have maintained that they want to get something done. They're working towards getting something done. Is it just the term? You know, is the annual average salary problematic from Jason Botter's perspective? Well, there's something that is dragging this process along, but that shouldn't be misconstrued or misinterpreted that it's a negative. I still believe that these two sides do want to get something done. It's just as you creep closer to the end of the regular season, then you creep closer to July 1st, and then it becomes a bigger issue because Jeff Skinner would have to make a decision, but I still believe that both sides are fairly confident they are going to get something done here. There's Darren Dreger. Last week, we had a little something from Elliot Friedman, Sportsnet, not TSN, but Sportsnet, and uh, also plugged in to the Jeff Skinner issue, and here's what he had to say on that. You know, they haven't gotten a Skinner extension done yet. The closer you get, you know, the more you wonder, is it going to happen? Yeah. Now, I've heard the issue is term. It would seem to make sense in the fact that it's not done yet. But when you're going like this, you kind of wonder, is it any guarantee that he'll be staying? Those guys are at least thinking about it. They're not saying it's not going to happen. Dreger's going as far to say that it's not even a negative at this point, that nothing's signed. But. That's two people now, and there have been more out there. Bob McKenzie's mentioned it. The term could be an issue here. And wouldn't there be a riot in this city if they don't end up getting Jeff Skinner because they were not willing to do an eighth year? Right? He's 26. I'd just be like, get over it in eighth year. There are reasons to not do it, sure, because of that term. But you have to keep this guy. You have to keep this guy. The season has turned so sour that if you let something like that happen, maybe there is nowhere else to go but down for all of us right now. But what is the feeling going to be like around that team and in that building next season if they lose Jeff Skinner for nothing? Like the Skinner camp does have the leverage. Because they don't really have any pressure on them. The Sabres do have a lot of pressure to get this deal done. And even if he wants to stay, that wouldn't mean that they would have some insane amount of leverage over him. I think that it is a little curious that it has not happened yet. Like I said, I'm not worried about it, but they do need to make that happen. Unless, to me there is about one realistic scenario, and it's about it, that you know we wouldn't have riots around here if he didn't sign. And that would be is if you went into free agency and you said, all right, what's our biggest issue right now on this team? And if you went down the checklist, you'd probably land at they are super thin with scoring down the middle. It is Eichel, and that is pretty much it. Rodriguez has been a blessing to some extent that he's given them any sort of of playmaking and offense this season. And even then, he's got nine goals in the season. So it's not like he's lighting the world on fire. Larson's giving you nothing offensively. Sabotka's giving you nothing offensively. Middlestead is young. At this point, he's really not giving you a whole lot. So, that's got to be your biggest need. 
on the wing, it's not like you're set there. But I do have Reinhardt. I could move Rodriguez back to wing. I do have Sherry. Hopefully, I'm going to have Nylander. You're hoping Nylander and Thompson, maybe even it's just one of the two, that you're going to get something out of one of those two, right? And if I really need to, it's been talked about a lot over the years, but it is easier to go from center to wing than it is to go to wing to center. So if I do land a stud number two center and middle stat really flourishes and comes on, then maybe he could pull a Reinhardt and go from center to wing and just sit over there and be a great player on the wing of a really good centerman. Like You have options there. Whereas center, right now you don't really have one. You don't have a guy coming up in the system that you can even really hope on other than Middlestad. Sean Malone, Asplund. Like I think we're talking about bottom six guys at best. And I don't even know if there's another name past that. Davidson like is a second or third round pick from a couple years ago. Maybe he would be a name you might want to toss in there. There's not much. And you're certainly not counting on any of those other guys. What if they don't end up signing Skinner, but they land like a Matt Duchesne? I don't think anybody would want that right now. Skinner, just the goal scoring and his fit with Eichel is more appealing to me than a guy who is very good. But like the thing about Matt Duchesne is he's kind of putting up, he puts up similar points to Ryan O'Reilly, but the difference is he doesn't really have that two-way ability. So I'd basically be plugging a hole that I opened up on my own last season. That's the only realistic thing. Maybe the city wouldn't be in flames if they don't sign Skinner. But otherwise, like they need to get that contract done. And they don't have a lot of leverage. You would think they don't have a lot of leverage because there is a lot of pressure on them to make that contract happen. Even though they did not pay a lot to get him in a trade. like That does not really matter at this point. When they first traded for Jeff Skinner, I thought to myself... Man, they only give up Cliff Poo a second and a third. They don't have to sign him long-term. They can have him for a year. He can be really good. And if he walks, like, okay, at least you tried it. I'm glad you tried that. And you get one good season out of him. Maybe you get something at the trade deadline. And no harm, no foul. You gave it a shot, and you didn't give up a whole lot. But now that we sit here at the end of the year and the season has gone the way it's gone, and he's been as good as he's been, you got to give him $9 million if he's looking for $9 million. You've got to give him eight years if he's looking for eight years. I think you just have to do the contract no matter what it takes. You're going to have the cap space. Look at it this way. Matt Molson's contract comes off the books this year. Finally, right? <laughs> Glorious. What a day it'll be when Matt Molson's contract comes off their payroll. Right now, he counts $3.975 million against their cap. It's a lot. It's a lot for a guy that's not even playing in your AHL team right now. He's playing in California in the AHL. Add up Matt Molson's cap hit with Jeff Skinner's cap hit. And you're going to get a you're going to get above 9 and a half million a year. For those two on your books right now. And you're only getting Skinner's production. So to me, I'm like thinking of it this way. Molson comes off my books. I'm just going to give a lot of his cap not even all of it, but a lot of his cap 
to Skinner, and I'm getting the same player for basically the same combined cap because I'm getting zero out of Molson. I'm still going to get zero out of Molson. See what I mean? Like their their money, there's going to be money to spend. There won't be a ton. They're not the Bills where they could just freely. They have a need here, get them. They have a need offensive line, get them. Receiver, get them. We need another corner, grab them. The Sabers will have to probably choose between one or two really big contracts, but they can sign Skinner and still make other additions if they really want to. They will have the cap space as it sits right now for next season. They have about twenty-five million in cap, and you don't really have a big contract to sign. You've got some. McCabe's going to be interesting. One point six million, turning into an RFA. He's he's twenty-five. Probably wouldn't be outrageous, but I don't know. Three between three and four millions. That's unfair for McCabe. That's probably the biggest contract you're going to hand out. Larson and Giergensen's are going to be RFAs again. I don't even know if you bring them back, and if you do, you're not giving them more than probably what they're getting right now. Rodriguez could be interesting, but I think he's probably set up for some sort of bridge deal, and he'll never be a player we're going to be paying a giant amount of cap to anyway. Unless he becomes some 30-goal scorer out of nowhere, but I'm not sure that's going to happen. He's 25 already. Olmark is promising, but again, bridge contract. I'm not handing out big money this year. Other than Skinner. And I mentioned Molson coming off your books. I did not mention Jason Pominville. $5.6 million. Would you like to bring him back? I would be against it. I might want to open up a bottom six spot to a younger player. But, you know, it wouldn't kill him to have a guy playing in your bottom six that you know that if you get in a pinch, you get injuries, whatever happens, the guy's struggling, you can still throw Pommelville, even at this point in his career, on a top two line, and you know he'll hold his own. Because even at this stage in his career, he's not a guy that you really ever want carrying the puck. But he can still finish. And I can do worse than that. But even if you bring him back, you're not paying him $5.6 million. So you've got 5.6 coming off Pommelville. You've got 3.975 coming off Molson. I can just use that money, not even all of it, not even all of Molson's, and I can just push that towards number 53, and I can make sure that gets done. Because anything that's not crazy, and when you reach crazy point, crazy town, is probably Eichel money or more. Because I think even how stupid free agency can get, I think if Jeff Skinner went to free agency, he would not get $10 million. I think it's crazy. That's crazy money. Only the elite, elite franchise cornerstone players that are young generally get that type of money. There's a few cases. Carey Price got that contract. He's a goalie. Shea Weber got that contract. But that was in part because he was a restricted free agent and there was an offer sheet. I know that was 100 years ago. But otherwise, like it's the Eichels, it's the Matthews, the McDavid's, Crosby back in the day. Those were the guys that got those enormous contracts. Skinner is definitely primed for a big contract. But if he starts asking for 10, then, and only then, should they really not feel the pressure to bring him back. Anything less, I think you got to do it. The aesthetics are bad, but even on the ice, it's not just about how you would look and how the fans would feel. On the ice... Imagine 
what they'd be this year without Jeff Skinner. You know what they'd be without Jeff Skinner? They'd probably be the worst team in the league like they've been for the past couple years. They've been playing like that team anyways since that 10-game win streak. They have been the team that they've been. They've been playing like a 60-65-point team, which is what they've been a few years in, the, in, the re, in recent memory. They would have never had that 10-game win streak. They would have never been first place in the NHL. They would have never even been in a position to have us thinking about the playoffs for as long as we did. I mean, we you wanted more. You wanted this to go right to the end, if not make it. But you still did have a reasonable playoff conversation until mid-February. Was it even before that? I'm losing my timeline now. But you can't, you can't let them go. Because their season, as it stands right now, if they did not have him, how would they be putting the puck in the back of the net? How? Reinhardt's been great. Eichel's been great. Who else can score on this team that's not named Jeff Skinner? They might have had to put Darlene at forward at some point for how bad it's been offensively. They can still get to 28th in the NHL. Think about that. This is separate from the Skinner conversation here. They can still get to 28th in the NHL. They were first place at one point. Right now, they have the 8th best lottery odds. It's incredible. And 4th best lottery odds is within shouting distance. It really is. 5th more realistic. New Jersey right now is 28th in the league with 63 points. Sabres have 71. So maybe that's not quite realistic at this stage. But Anaheim, the Rangers, the Canucks... Those are the three teams immediately behind you. Two points back, two points back, one point back. If those three teams passed you, you'd finish the season 27th in the league. And how does that sound after being first place at one point? Not even like early on. It's not like they were 3-0 and in first place in the league. Like They were first place in the league with a good chunk of games in. The overall question is going to be, does someone have to pay for that? And I'm still in the camp of I don't really need someone to pay for that, but I think someone does whether that be the coach, whether that be a guy like Ristolainen in a trade. I don't really know who else it would be other than that. I don't think the GM's getting fired. I'd be stunned if that happened. And I also don't think he's done a terrible, terrible job. Man, if it comes down to Ristolainen or uh, Housley, that's going to be an interesting, uh, ta- interesting talk for the summer. We'll see. 8030550 is the phone number if you want to get any thoughts in before we get to our next interview of the day. Mitch Morse, Bill's center, highest paid center in NFL history. He is now going to be in Buffalo. He visited with one Bills Live earlier today. We'll play that back next as we transition to football for the remainder of the show. It's the Nightcap, Jody Biasi here on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap. Jody Biasi here on WGR. Talk a lot about UB in the first hour. You got to pull up at Sneaky Joe WGR on Twitter if you want to vote on that. Some Sabres in the last segment. We're going to get to the Bills in just a minute here. we got one question on the text line, and I want to get to a call before we do get to Bill center Mitch Morse, who was on One Bills Live earlier today. Text question is about goaltending and using the money you lose on Matt Molson or getting rid of with Matt Molson to upgrade in net. I think they're set in net, to be honest. I think the next 
two years, I think you're going to have Carter Hutton and you're going to have Linus Allmark. And I think you just got to hope Linus Allmark is going to become a number one goaltender. And I think if he doesn't, then I think the next guy in the pipeline is your hope for that. Lukanen, their second round pick, is considered one of the top goalie prospects in the world right now. So I think these next couple years, Carter Hutton on a very reasonable contract and Linus Allmark, who I still have a lot of promise for, and I think he hasn't, he hasn't been amazing this season, but he's been good. I think good's the fair word to attach to his season. Even if he doesn't become a true number one goaltender, I think there probably is a guy in the system that uh, you can hope can be that in uh, Uka Pekka Lukadin. Plus that name. I mean, how can you how can you pass on that name? But I don't think they sign anybody. Like They're not going to sign Sergei Bobrovsky or something crazy like that. At least I don't think. And I hope they wouldn't. Anyways, let's get to Patrick. Patrick, you're on the nightcap. What's up, man? Joe, what's up, man? Uh, How are you? First of all, thanks so much for the good content. Yeah, no go problem, man. By yourself. Please keep up with your work. Sure thing. Um, one, one point I wanted to make is, you know, we talked about the secondary scoring issue. So Casey Middlestad, like coming out of college, you know, sometimes I think we, we bypass the fact that he's actually 20 years old. I compare him to like a guy like Derek Roy, right? Like Derek Roy's breakout year was like 2006, 2007. He had 60 points, but he was like 24, 25 years old. Middlestad's 20, you know? Like mm-hmm. there's a huge difference there. And I think that we're putting him in a position clearly, like to your point earlier in the show, when you lose O'Reilly, you're, you're pushing everybody up, and he's in a, in, in a bad position. I think college actually makes that worse because he only played 34 games last year. Right. Like, total. You know, he's at 68 right now, and he's, you know, 21 points is awful, but I, I think there's some context to be shared there. So I don't know how good he will be, but, I like, that – I don't think we should expect him to be good just yet. Does that make sense? No, yeah, it does. And I like your Roy comparison there. I just looked up his stats for a second. His rookie season was about the same thing. When he was a 20-year-old, this is before the lockout, he didn't have a 21-year-old season because it was taken away. But his 20-year-old season, Roy had 19 points. And then the next year, 46, which is like it's respectable, especially nowadays for a second-line center. And then you're right, 63 after that. So... Yeah, I'm, I'm not too down on him. I've always been, of the prospects, Nylander's always been the one I've been down on just because even though there's not production, I don't always see the the tools that makes me think he's going to build off of what he's done. Whereas Middlestat, like I see it, you see it, when even though he's got 20 points or whatever on the season, you see the hands and you see once in a while that he can finish. So to me, there's enough there to build on where I'm not really that worried on on him. I guess just now the biggest question is like what his ceiling ends up being. Yeah, yeah, you, you beat me to my next one. I was just going to say, like, middle set to me passes the eye test where, again, like as you said, these other guys I worry about actually how they look on the ice. Thanks again, Joe. Yeah, no problem, Patrick. Thanks for the call. Yeah, I agree. Um, I I almost jumped in when you started there, and I'm glad I didn't because it was actually a good comparison, but I do not like Derek Roy. Never have. And I'll say this. If middle step becomes Derek Roy offensively, I'm all in. 63 points, 81 points, 70 points, 69 points. 35 game and 35 points in 35 games. Fine. I just wasn't a big fan of Roy because of other stuff. But yeah, it's not a bad comparison. And really what think about back in the day when they were good. I mean, Roy was a third line center, that's why they were super good. And when they weren't making the playoffs, it was because he was their top-line center. 
Like, Derrick Roy really never played the role he was probably meant for, which is second-line center. He had to go from third to first. And the good thing about Middlestat is you're not relying on him to be your franchise number one center. Like, Eichel's here, and he's going to be here. So to me, while you want Middlestat and you need some guys to start becoming really good, it's not the end of the world if he doesn't become an, a point-of-game guy. Because he really only has to be their second-line center. That's all he really has to be. Just get to that point. And like I said, if it takes a year or two, fine. Because really, it's not his fault he was in the position he was this year. They should not have traded Ryan O'Reilly. And they should have had another backup plan uh, for Patrick Berglund. Because they have not addressed that this entire season. Alright, let's get to some football talk. I wanted to get to the Bills a little bit. And before I launch into it a little bit, Mitch Morse who is now the highest-paid center in football. He is a Buffalo Bill. He visited with One Bills Live earlier today. It was John Murphy and Joe Biscalia in studio. So here is newest Bills center Mitch Morris with the guys. Mitch Morris is with us now on the line. The Bills' new center signed last week to a free agent contract with the Buffalo Bills. Hello, Mitch. John Murphy and Joe Biscalia here in our One Buffalo studio at One Bills Drive. Sorry we missed you last week. That was kind of a hectic uh, uh, free-for-all last Wednesday. or thir- <laughs> Which day was it? It was Thursday when yeah. you were here with the rest of the free agents. Yeah, no, I appreciate y'all having me on. Where are you calling from, Mitch? I'm here in Kansas City right now trying to get everything ready to roll back to Buffalo. You're, you're moving then? You're, you're moving the family here to Buffalo eventually? or? Yeah, me and the wife are going to head up there probably sometime in the next few weeks, maybe in a week or so. And you got mid-April report time, I guess, for if you want to, for the uh, optional off-season condition. I imagine you're getting ready for that, right? Oh, yes. Not optional in your mind? <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> Hey, Mitch, tell us the process that got you here to Buffalo. Uh, you could not have been surprised knowing about the Bills' needs and what the Bills' focus might have been in free agency that you wound up here with the Buffalo Bills. You know, it's, it's, no one really told me how crazy all that can be. Um, I mean, you kind of have a rough guess of where you could possibly end up. And then, um, you know, for about 24 hours, your life is a whirlwind. And, and then, then the opportunity arose. And, I mean, it was a pretty easy choice after, you know, talking with my agent and uh, just kind of doing a little research and vetting. And it just seemed like the perfect place for me and my family and uh, a place to kind of just grow as a person and grow as a football player. Was it an easy choice because of the opportunity or was it the money or what made it an easy choice for you? You know, it was, it was both. I mean, you'd be lying if you said it wasn't both. Um, but, you know, for me, I never went out trying to be the highest-paid center, to be honest. Uh, and it still kind of makes me uncomfortable if, we're being, if I'm being frank. It's just kind of something I've never wanted to be. But, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's not the worst thing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, it's, dude, I mean, just talking to the people, kind of understanding the owners and their mindset, and, you know, Coach McDermott, and, uh, you know, understanding that he was, you know, kind of through Coach Reed. You know, he's, he's just such a family-oriented dude. Uh, that was just that, was, that kind of floated my boat. That's my cup of tea. So it was a fairly easy choice after that part. Hey, Mitch, when you did your vetting, did, even before talking to Sean McDermott, Brandon Bean, the Pagulas, I mean, who did you kind of reach out to 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 find out what Buffalo and this regime and and this locker room was all about? Sure. I, I mean, I really didn't have too many contact points, but uh, you know, Ike. He's a uh, offensive lineman, um, and so I was. I reached out to Ike, and he, he mm-hmm. you know, he said only good things. And um, I knew Marcus Murphy was here, which is a buddy of mine, and 
Uh, he seems to be enjoying it. Uh, you know, for, for me, it wasn't uh, it wasn't too hard. Uh, I was about to reach out to Eric Wood, but everything kind of kind of came to fruition so quickly that I wasn't able to reach out to him. But that really wasn't um, I really wasn't too worried about all that. Mitch Morse on the line with us. The Bills center signed to a free agent contract going into his fifth season in the NFL. Tell me about the four, first four seasons in, in the NFL with the Chiefs, Mitch. You obviously had success on a on a well coached and uh, well uh, you know finely tuned uh, offensive machine there in Kansas City. Is it difficult to leave a situation that had been going so well in Kansas City for the last few years? Well, you know, mostly difficult for personal reasons. You know, my, my family and I we really liked the city of Kansas City. Um, you know, we we planted our roots here. Uh, no, I think it's you know it's, it's part of the business. Yeah, you're moving on, and I think for me, it's going to really help me as a football player. Um, you know, sometimes change is a little bit uh, unsettling, but in this instance, I think it's the best thing for me. And uh, no, to answer your question, I'm really looking forward to the change. Um, I think it's just the way it goes, and I, I couldn't be in a better position. To be Mitch, Mitch, this might sound a little weird, but I'm guessing you might find that Buffalo and Kansas City are a little bit similar, uh, just in terms of the type of people and the type of atmosphere that. The avid interest in the NFL team. Have you noticed anything like that in your initial no, stop? Absolutely. absolutely. Um, I think the. I mean, you have, you have to. I have to admit, the fans are such an integral part of you know me choosing uh, Buffalo and the fact that they're so passionate about the team. Uh, you know, just blue collar folk, just you know, really down earth people. You know, I feel like it's a Midwest feel, much like Kansas City in that department. Um, uh, I definitely feel like there's. They're both very passionate fan bases, and I'm looking for. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't know many people who jump off of stuff and break their face on tables. So <laughs> I'm looking forward to kind of feeling that culture, and those are my kind of people. <laughs> uh, Mitch, when when you were coming out of Mizzou, you were a, a right tackle, correct? Yeah. Yeah. Um, when when you came to it, and and Kansas City wanted to move you inside to center, no less. I mean, how much did did um, you kind of struggle with that early on, or or um, what? Uh, what exactly was that learning curve like? And and certainly, uh, and did you ever expect it to land you? What what it did this free agency? Oh man, uh, to answer that last bit, no way. I, I mean, I was just trying to focus on one day at a time. To be right. honest with you, especially getting the season, uh, my rookie season. Um, no, I kind of bounced around my my sophomore season. I was played some center. My junior season, I was right tackle senior season left tackle so every year I kind of changed positions um and at the point I was just looking forward to the opportunity and the you know coach Reed put me in an opportunity to play early and, and kind of prove myself and trial by fire and uh, I guess the biggest thing was first of all the speed and the strength everyone is just at the top of their game and then I played in a kind of a spread offense where there was only five or six guys in the line of scrimmage and then you go in and you put power big boy football you put eight or nine guys in the line of scrimmage well, the defense is going to mirror that, so I've never seen more than six guys on, you know, in the box, and now there's you know eight or nine dudes. So just kind of identifying and understanding, uh, you know, the pro pro style football. It definitely was a big leap for me, but uh, I was able to kind of learn as it went on. It was a lot of trial and error, and uh, getting whooped up a bit in practice. But you know, I think that's part of the gig. You know what I mean? Hey, Mitch. It doesn't seem like there are a lot of similarities between Pat Mahomes and and Buffalo's Josh Allen, and yet for the second consecutive year, you'll be the center for a, a pretty talented second-year quarterback in the NFL. Have you thought about that at all, and maybe some of the things you were able to do for Mahomes that might translate to Josh? No, I think, I think for me, my, my job is just to make 
Josh's life as easy as possible. Um, you know, being being just kind of like a liaison between the offensive line and Josh, uh, just just trying to make his job a lot easier. Um, you know, Pat and I learned a lot from each other this year. I mean, he's a special talent, and uh, he helped me out probably way more than I helped him out. But uh, I think it's it's good to have a kind of a, a continuous you know line of communication. It's kind of being on the same having the same verbiage and kind of seeing the same thing. So I mean, it, it, that's going to help immensely when we just get to know each other, you know, probably hang out off the field a bit just to kind of kind of see how he works and love to see how he thinks and how he processes the game. So um, I'm really excited. Uh, Josh was a big reason why, you know, another big reason why I came to uh, Buffalo. I, I think you have to have a quarterback uh, to, you know, your, your team has to be revolved around a talented quarterback uh, to go, you know, deep into the playoffs. And I think Josh has the capability to do that. Hey Mitch, um, what, I mean, you only got a small taste of Buffalo. I mean, you were you were here for only a few days, but what sure. what, what kind of uh, stood out to you about uh, even in just those few days about what uh, what you like the most about it? Yeah, I, I, I like the people. I think the people are, are just very friendly, uh, mm-hmm. really passionate about their teams, and you know, just a hardworking group of folk who you know try to make each other's lives a lot easier. Uh, it's just. It really does have a Midwest feel in that department. And uh, besides that, the wings are just crazy good. <laughs> and uh, I'm looking forward to kind of eating my way through town. I can use all the help I can get, to be honest. <laughs> Did you get to a hockey game the other night when you were here, Mitch? You were talking about it. Dude, no, I talked a big game, and then I, I, I forgot that I had, uh, I had had previous engagement with my O-line coach to go eat. So okay. uh, I had to dip out on that. But I heard the Sabres had a big win the other night against the Blues. Yeah, that was pretty big yeah, for them. Good, good, good deal. Hey, last, last thing I got for you, Mitch. You know, there's, there's five new offensive linemen signed here over the last couple of weeks, and you met them, the new offensive – actually, two new offensive line coaches. Um, how soon can you guys pull this together, figure out who's playing where and how we're going to play? I mean, that, that seems like a sure. – offensive lines seem to thrive when there's continuity. You guys don't have that um, – you don't have that uh, experience now to, to lean on, right? Right. Well, I feel like every – Every year in the league, I mean, you guys, you have guys come and go, so you have to do that on a minute, you know, a, a much more minute level. But you do have to find, you know, no offensive line groups the exact same. And so for us, this will just be that on a kind of a grander scale, getting to know the guys, uh, and that's what OTAs are so important. So I think it'll be finding our own niche, uh, you know, us understanding how coach thinks, and he's going to kind of understand how we, as individuals, process information and practice and. Um, so it'll be uh, for sure a little learning curve, but you know, as long as we're hitting stride week one, that's the only thing. I'm sure there'll be some bumps in the road, but you know, we're going to get to work and uh, just enjoy each other's company. And I'm just looking forward to getting to know the guys a bit. Hey, Mitch, have you ever met a human larger than Ty Inseki? <laughs> oh no, that dude's gigantic. I know. That's a, that's a big man right there. <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious because you, you've been around a lot of big people, sure. but, but yeah, he's a big dude right there for right, sure. Exactly. Hey, Mitch, thanks for this. We're a couple of weeks away from getting you guys here for the off-season workouts. We look forward to uh, visiting with you then as well. Thank you very much for this today. Yeah, sounds good, guys. I appreciate you having me on. There he is, Mitch Morris, new Bill Center with John Murphy and Joe Biscalia. We will come back, wrap things up. Last call. 803 is the phone number. Got a stat of the day for you. It's courtesy of our own Sal Capaccio. Love that for you before we get out of here as well. It's the Nightcap. Jody Biasi here on WGR. A couple more minutes here on the Nightcap. WGR. ESPN Radio coming up next. I'll be back for another full show tomorrow night. As just one weekday Sabre game this week. The Leafs on Wednesday.
promised you a stat of the day before we get out of here. It's courtesy of our Sal Capaccio. The Buffalo Bills have added 10 offensive players so far in unrestricted free agency. It's a lot. Does it sound like a lot? Because it is. That includes, actually, it does not include Duke Williams, if you the CFL receiver. If you want to include him, that would be 11. As our sale says, no other NFL team has added more than five. So the Bills have doubled up the rest of the league when it comes to additions on the offense. Part of that, of course, is just how barren they were on the line and at receiver beforehand. But, man, they made a commitment. They needed to do it. Um, they really did. They, man, they needed to do it. I mean, they were. Allen was great to end the year, but we soon forget they were the worst offense, arguably, in NFL history in the first half of the season. There were tons of metrics that had them as the worst offense that had ever been recorded. And they came on strong at the end, and good thing they did, because otherwise that's what that season would have been remembered for. And they made the additions, though, to get going on that side of the football, because watch the Chiefs, watch the Patriots, watch the Chargers, watch almost every great team in the league. That's how they're winning. They'll get timely defense, sure, but you got to be able to score points with the best of them. And hopefully, we're on the track to that. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in. Thanks, everybody, for calling. You can check the whole show out on demand at WGR550.com. Again, full show tomorrow night. So I'll be back with you on Tuesday, 7 o'clock. It's the Nightcap. Jody Biasi here on WGR. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion.